Amen, amen. You can grab a seat. And uh, so uh, thankful that you uh, made the commitment to be here at Christ Church this weekend. And um, if you're if you're newer to our church, um, we've been in this series called Mind Wars. And uh, I can't believe, like, literally we started the series kind of right after Easter. And, and here we are. Uh, it's week eight. And um, one of the things we've been talking about throughout this series is that uh, is that we're immersed in a spiritual war. Do you guys get a sense of that? Uh, more and more in different ways in your life. I know I do in mine. And uh, we're immersed in this spiritual war. And uh, But what we know we have in the gospel is uh, what we've learned in the very first message that sort of launched this uh, series out of 2 Corinthians 10 is the reality that uh, we have divine power to destroy some strongholds. And to destroy arguments and, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Because what we want to be doing as the followers of Christ is taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Because we believe that God's word speaks a better word over our life. And I want to be, I'm going to be honest, um, we're, we're believing and trusting God to work through his word today. But I am also incredibly aware that, that the topic that we're covering, the stronghold we're going after today is going gonna, is gonna to lead us straight into some places of really uh, deep areas of brokenness and hurt and pain. But, but, but in, in, the, in the body of Christ, in the church, we don't, we don't avoid those things. We don't feel like we've got to get everything uh, perfect and then enter into the church. We bring all of that right into the church. And so... Today we're going to be going after some of these areas and some of the ways that what's, been, what's happened to us has impacted our identity. And we need to bring down some strongholds in that. And so um, let me just pray before we uh, get started this morning. Uh, God, I'm asking afresh from you and from the work of your spirit an opportunity for your word to go forth and to connect with these uh, friends and disciples of you, and some maybe even here, God, that aren't disciples yet, but are considering the gospel. I pray that they would see today the way the gospel intersects us right in the midst of the a tremendous hurt and hardship and brokenness of life, that it gives hope and healing. I pray that for some that have been walking under some things that have happened to them in their past, or maybe they're currently in a season of suffering, that they would find you to be as good as you promised to be, and they might be encouraged and be able to grab hold of hope. In all things, God, I pray that the church would rally together, and we would be going after these strongholds in our minds and in our hearts, and that they would fall because the gospel speaks a better word, and because Jesus is more powerful than those things in our lives. So we just trust you in that and ask that you would work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And one of the things that you hear a lot in our world today is a, a pretty consistent message from a variety of places advocating for victims. I love the heart of it. I really do. I, I, I think that the idea of advocacy and protection, prevention, understanding, love, compassion, all of those things, those are principles. Let's remember, those are principles that are deeply biblical and flow right from the heart of God. And, and there's a sensitivity to pain that people have walked through that I think is, is way more sensitive than just get over it, right? Like I think we've, 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 we've grown, I think, in some ways 
But there's also a number of problems that have emerged in this discussion. One of the primary problems comes when a victim takes on a victim mentality that becomes their primary identity. Have you seen this before? A victim takes on a victim mentality that then that becomes their primary identity. And the person becomes defined by what has been done to them. They actually become defined by their pain. And in that, I'm a victim becomes a stronghold in their life. Becomes a stronghold in their life. And Christians can be easily susceptible to this stronghold. Because what happens is, is we start to elevate the I'm a victim above their, your identity in Christ. And when that's wrongly prioritized in the way that we think, and it begins to influence the way that we think and then live, you're on a bad trajectory. And that's where that stronghold starts to have a dangerous implications for your life. Instead, what we need, church, is to have both in one hand a deep compassion and love and sensitivity towards people and what they've gone through while at the same time taking hold of as firmly our identity in Christ and in the gospel. We need the balance there because it's the only way that we can enter into the space that we're entering into today. I know we're walking towards some, some deep pain in this message. Like, anytime you go after uh, the, the brokenness in people's lives and the way that's caused us to think about our life and our world, we're treading in a very sensitive territory. There's brokenness in this room that I don't understand, that I don't know, that I have not experienced. We're, we're wading into confusion and heartbreak and weakness and pain and trauma. And I don't believe, please hear me on this, I don't believe that one message will just fix everything. But I do believe that this message can set you in the right direction to begin to destroy the I am a victim stronghold. And, and, and take that where that's been torn down and replace it with a soul-satisfying, life-giving, Christ-centered gospel identity. Amen? So let's look at this from God's Word. Turn to Psalm, Psalms chapter 10. And here, as you turn there, we've got one of those psalms. Like, the psalms give voice to so much. I still, to today, if I'm going through a just a season or a day or a week where I'm just trying to give voice to things that I'm feeling that I can't even seem to express rightly, I just, I just go to the Psalms, straight to the Psalms. I just find myself there just reading and listening and learning and hearing from uh, God's Word speaking through this sort of poetry and song. And so let's look together at Psalm chapter 10. Follow along with me. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourselves in times of, yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boast of, a, of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. 
His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight, as for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and are fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen your heart, their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Psalm 10 really gets at the heart of a victim. It is transparent and authentic and raw, all the great things that you see from the Psalms. And it leads me to this big idea that I see playing out in this Psalm, and we're going to unpack together. It's this, write it down. God transforms your identity from victim to victor as you rest in him. And we are taking aim at this I am a victim stronghold because it cannot remain as my primary identity in any area of my life or experience and not in yours. Three compassionate invitations from the God who loves you. Let's look at this and let's unpack this, this, uh, this psalm. First one, express your pain to God. Express your pain to God. <laughs> what, what you see in, verses, in verse 1 of this psalm is what's common throughout Scripture and common in the Psalms. Those of you who've been coming to our church for a while know that at the beginning of 2022, we walked through a Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is an entire uh, prophetic book that wrestles with what God is doing and what timing he's doing it. And there's this authenticity in these questions. Here again, the the psalmist is wrestling with the classic question, why are the righteous suffering and the wicked prospering? Like, what is happening here? And his only expression of it is to say, like in verse 1, you seem to be standing far away. You seem to be hiding yourself right when I need you. It's deep pain that's being expressed here between the psalmist and God. But he's opening the door, see the door opening, church, and welcoming and inviting you in to express your pain to God. It is an accurate portrayal of the wicked. Like 11 verses is given just to the psalmist wrestling with what he sees the wicked doing. Like the, both the wicked's thoughts, their perspectives, their actions, their attitude towards God, their attitude towards people. And guess what, church? Like every generation... Every nation, wickedness is present. 
Okay, I know, I know that didn't blow anyone away. But, uh, but I, I'm a little, I'm a little, I, I feel like sometimes um, uh, Christians, because we, we have this gospel hope in us, we, we sort of see life going and we're like, oh, I think it's getting better, I think it's getting better. Not getting better. I think it's this, I think it's getting better, I think it's getting better. Not getting better. Um, um, hey, hey, uh, it's not getting better. Not until Christ comes again to make all things new. Then it will get better. Until then, we work and we wrestle in the up and down of the reality of our life. And regardless of the degree, when you are hurt by wicked actions from believers or unbelievers, God invites you to express your pain to Him. To Him. He doesn't want you to to ignore it. He He doesn't want you to stuff it down. He doesn't want you to justify it. He doesn't want you to just vent to anyone or everyone and let it become your primary identity. He doesn't want it to keep circling around in your, in your brain. He wants you to express your pain to him. There's a serious physical condition in the medical world. It's called sepsis. Sepsis is this like life-threatening illness that literally happens when an infection it can be a basic infection. Gets into your bloodstream and the bacterial infection begins to work its way through your bloodstream, causing inflammation throughout your body and it actually puts your organs at risk and it can lead to organ failure and even death in serious situations. And, and, and similar with, with pain and suffering that, that we experience from, from actions of other people if not healed by God, if not redeemed by the gospel, it becomes an infection in your soul. And it can start to work its way out in all sorts of unhealthy ways. And it can start to bring inflammation and pressure around so many different aspects of your life. Try to rebuild a relationship that's been broken uh, by, by a lot of, of bad, wicked actions. And you get to this point where you've got to deal with the fact that the infection has sort of spread itself all over your life. There's real damage even, even physically. And I love to see how our physical and our spiritual come together. There's these things that in the world they refer to them as psychosomatic symptoms. It's from holding on to pain. It can cause headaches panic attacks, just overall stress, a lack of sleep, all different sorts of expressions physically of what's going on inside your soul because the infection is just spreading. It's not being redeemed. It's not being dealt with. It's not being brought to the Lord. God didn't create our bodies to hold on to pain like that. I think there's a rightness in, in feeling the freedom to express it. And God's inviting you and he's welcoming you out of his love to do that. And you see that here in the Psalms just like you see it in so many other places. Don't ever feel or believe that you have to check your pain at the door to enter into the church or any aspect of the kingdom of God. Let that never be said of our church. God forbid. Because what the Bible calls us to within the context of the kingdom of God is to bring your pain as a victim right into the kingdom of God. Bring it to the scriptures. I've said this again and again in our church. There are places of pain in my life from the past and some that's still are reverberating in the present 
where I've got to bring it to the scriptures. I'm not like, oh, I've got to get myself right before I come here. I'm bringing it right there. I'm coming authentically before the Lord and going, I, I don't want to walk through this anymore. And you bring it to him. And just even the voice that, 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 that says, please express it to me is an unbelievably compassionate and loving voice. Bring it to the, your relationship with Christ. Express it to him. Bring it to trusted spiritual counselors. And like we said last week, let those trusted spiritual counselors lead you to God's word and from God's word. Now what ha- has happened to you in your life, I'm aware of this and, and want to be sensitive to it, that sometimes the reality of what sometimes people have walked through requires a specific skill and experience, sometimes even beyond what maybe a pastor or a community group leader could provide in the context of our church. And hear me in this. We know there are limitations in regards to the degree of counsel that might be needed around what you've walked through. But here's what I want our church to be famous for. We can still hear and listen as a representative of God, has a picture of what it means to be an ambassador for Christ, we can listen, we can point to counsel, and we can put our arm around someone and pray for them. And we can take them and model for them what it looks like to express your pain to God. Let us be famous for that. We may not be able to tackle all the deep issues, but let us not be intimidated when, we, we've, when we've got a God who we know invites us to express our pain. And even at our church, we're trying to be more honest in what we can handle and in what way some of the weight and pain that some of you carry. But here's what I want you to hear from us at every level, every level of leadership, from people who serve in student ministries to children's ministry to adult ministry, our staff, our elders, we want to hear you. We want to hear you. And sometimes just not holding on to it anymore can be the greatest step towards healing. Don't forget this simple call to action. Express your pain to God. Bring it all to him all the time. Express your pain to God. God transforms your identity from victim to victor as you rest in him. Invitation number two, recount God's faithfulness. If you want to um, kind of understand this broadly, I, I, I love when we're in a passage, and I, I love studying through a passage, but if you know anything about me, you know I just, I, I love looking at sort of the themes that play out in sort of biblical theology and all of those uh, fun things. And one of the things you can do personally uh, this summer, maybe as an encouragement for you, is just um, do a Bible study on the word remember. Just look at all the places where God's reminding us to remember. That's the heart here. First 11 verses in this psalm, the psalmist is declaring the frustration and the angst and the pain. And then look in verse 12. You might, if you read the first 11 verses, be like, this guy's really focused on the enemy, on the wicked. Is, is he, does he have faith in God? And then verse 12. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. He's like, remember, remember us. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? And so at this point, he's now asking God to move. And and notice what he's observing about God right here, starting in verse 14. Let's just observe God's unchanging character here. 
he, he gets to this place and he's feeling the tension of what he's wanting God to do and, and what he's seeing from the wicked. And then he declares this. He says, but you do see. Some of you might need to underline that. Let that fall under your heart. God does see. He is aware of everything that you're going through. All of your fears, all of your anxieties, all of your hurt, all of your pain, he sees. But he goes beyond that. Look what he says next. He says, for you note mischief and vexation, both the wrong that's been done to you and the stirring that you have as a result of it. He's noting the wicked actions. He's not just listening. He's making a note. Have you ever met with somebody and as, they're, as you're talking, they're, they're like taking notes. They're, they're so intentional to want to hear you. And sometimes they'll even say it back to you to confirm that they've heard you. God's doing that with every one of your hurts and pains. Then God will take action. He's confident that, so you're getting this information, you see and you note, so that you may take it into your hands. God's going to act. He's, he's, he's going to take action in his timing, not sometimes in the way you expect or in the time that you expect, but he will take action. As I was thinking about that, I wrote this down. It was really helpful and encouraging to me. I hope it will be to you. You don't get to determine the what, how, or when, but you can rest in the who. This is a common theme you see throughout Scripture. You don't get to determine the what, how, or when, but you can rest in the who. And God's just like, I'm, I'm going to act. I will act. And, and, and into that place where he's declaring that God will act, what he does now is, is he, he starts to observe that God has a proven record. A proven record. He says, to you the helpless commits himself. Because the helpless looks around the world, and I don't know if you've looked around the world recently, but um, if you're helpless and you're looking around the world, good luck. Good luck. Like, I, I gotta be honest, like sometimes when I, when I see people who are unbelievers, like, choosing to get married I'm just kind of like good luck because that's all you've got and 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 yet for the believer we know God has a proven track record you have been the helper of the fatherless he's starting to recount God's faithfulness out of that verse 15 break the arm of the wicked and evildoer okay can we just stop for a second this is a quick little aside a quick little Psalms interpretation lesson, okay? A, a church, this is poetry. So if you read this and you're like, arms getting broken by God, really? Like, sometimes Christians, I think, get a little, 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 too, little too hot on the imprecatory prayers, okay? Like the praying for suffering. Um, it, 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 this is not what we want, okay? We do not want the wicked literally walking around in, in splints, okay? That's not what we're longing for. Uh, God's heart towards people is certainly more loving than that. The psalmist is using an expression here, church. He's saying to, he's saying to God, would you please break the power of the wicked, the arm? So he's calling him to do what he does. And then he gets back in verse 16 of recounting a proven record of faithfulness. Look at it there. The Lord is king. So he has authority. But not, not just a temporary king. Not just one that comes and goes. Not just one that, that has, a, has a certain amount of years that he can serve and then on to the next one. 
it says here, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Some kings are hopeful just to be a king for a short period over one nation. Our God is the king forever and ever over all nations for all time. And so that same God can handle any level of wickedness or injustice. If you want to try entrusting your life to some other kings or putting your, home in some, your hope in some other kings, um, just, just look at the history of the United States and you'll see a lot of hope in kings. And all the while, all the while, the Lord is king forever and ever. I know where I'm putting my hope. And so what happens here that I want you to see is recounting God's faithfulness provides confidence for the present. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's declaring that recounting God's faithfulness provides confidence for the present. When you recount God's faithfulness, when you take hold of it by faith, that's why throughout scripture you see these references to remember, remember, remember what God has done. You're you're literally picking up the truth and you're carrying it with you. It's another picture of walking by faith. And your faith has been established when, when, when you've taken hold of, by faith, the testimony of God's faithfulness. You have it throughout Scripture, testimonies of God's faithfulness. You've got testimonies of God's faithfulness throughout church history. And even in your own experience in life and maybe even your family. And it gives weight and power and confidence to your steps. Like, let's just, I want, I want you to see this because there's so much promise in this. And so what, what happens is this, this basket represents Scripture, and, and what we have to do is there's so much of, of, of stories and evidence just in Scripture of God's faithfulness. And what we have to do is we have to take it by faith, and we have to bring it into our own life. We have to recount it. It means I'm counting it as true of the God who now is over my life, and I'm under that God. He's the king forever and ever over my life. And so you can look and you can go, Genesis 6 through 8, where God shows his faithfulness to Noah in the midst of the flood and then leaves as a symbol for all of um, the followers of God to be reminded by the rainbow of God's faithful promises. You can look in scripture and go, oh man, everything that God did in Exodus 3 through 10 shows the power and faithfulness of God to his people even while they were being oppressed in slavery in Egypt that he will deliver and then he'll fulfill his promises. You don't know how the miracle is going to play out but you know the God who's faithful will show up miraculously. Amen? And you can, you can count this faithfulness into your life. You can look at Daniel 3 and you can go, man, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'd love to have been there for that story when that played out. I love to be able to give firsthand testimony for, to, to, to what happened there in the fiery furnace when they were like, we're going to be faithful to God. And we're not sure how he's going to be faithful. God, it's getting really hot. Faithfulness, trusting you. And then God shows up. And you can count that into your life. Or you could look maybe at, here's a good one, here's a big one, a Matthew chapter 1. When you finally see over the horizon of history the truth that the Messiah had come to bring hope to the world. And you can count that. Like God will be faithful. His timing was perfect in that. And you can count that into your life. You can look at Luke 24 where, where, where Jesus was raised from the dead 
And you go, just when the world thought they had put him to death, God was like, death? I have victory over death. I have victory over sin. And you can add that to your understanding of God's faithfulness. You can, you can look at Acts chapter 2 where, where God sent his Holy Spirit to empower his people. And you can see that, man, God's faithfulness to, to send his Spirit at the perfect time to, to prepare God's people to be all that he's called them to be. And you can count that faithfulness into your life. You can, Hebrews chapter 3, I love this one. I want to put this verse up on the screens, Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Right now, this house, God's house, Christ is faithful over it. And we are his house. This is, this is how you become a part of this. Trust me, you want to become a part of this. This is a really, really good op- opportunity for you. It's an invitation. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You've got to add that in there. I've got to make room for that one. And, and I don't care what this rock just represents, anything else. Anything else in your life you want to hold on to. We're taking this by faith from Scripture, and now we're taking it, and this is part of my life. Like, I'm recounting God's faithfulness. You notice what it says there? It says, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. Listen, this life and through the work of evil in this world and suffering, some that we can, some that's a result of our own sin, but some that is outside of our control, it can take so much from us. No one can take this from me. No one can take God's faithfulness from me. Like, hold fast to it is what Hebrews says. Hold fast to this confidence and boasting in our hope. It's so audacious, this verse, to say we don't just hold, we just don't, don't just hold fast to the confidence based on recounting God's faithfulness. We boast in it. We're like, um, he rose from the dead. And we speak that right into our suffering. We're like, we're like, um, his spirit is powerful. And we're walking around holding fast to the confidence. And, and we're boasting in our hope because we know that God's faithfulness in this gives me so much confidence in what he promises for your future and my future. Recount God's faithfulness. Church, what this does is, when you're carrying this around, what it also does is it gives you sure-footedness. Because when you get some extra weight, it helps you navigate slippery seasons of pain and suffering. You ever been on the road in the winter and you're in your two-wheel drive and you're kind of slipping around and you get passed by the person with all-wheel drive? Sure-footedness. There's more weight applied fully with four wheels. Have you ever played a sport like soccer and you're out there in like your sneakers and somebody else has soccer cleats on? You're going to lose is what's going to happen in that, because you're not sure-footed. Recounting God's faithfulness applies, it, it gives weight to your walk. It gives confidence, so that when I navigate through pain and suffering, I'm like, it still hurts. I still feel the weight of it, but my feet are rooted down because of the weight that has been applied, because my faith has taken hold of God's faithfulness. Recounting God's faithfulness provides confidence for the present. God transforms your identity, church, from victim to victor as you rest in him. And then this last one, rest in God's sufficient grace. 
man, verses 17 and 18, the psalmist is just, he's, he's rocking now. And uh, he has, he has kind of recounted God's faithfulness. And now he begins to think about what is going to happen because he's resting in God's sufficient grace. I mean, look what he says. He's like, oh, oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. But then notice, careful, careful. If you're like, oh, every desire of the afflicted person's heart is going to get supplied. No. You will strengthen their heart. I think that early in my walk with Christ, I think that I wanted God to um, meet all my desires. And then I realized in wisdom that oftentimes my desires, even though I could seem to make them sound good, were not God's best for me. But what I know God has done at every turn is he has strengthened my heart. That's what you need when you've been a victim. He doesn't necessarily give all desires, but he strengthens your heart. And then out of that place, listen, at this point, at this point, the person who's been trained by these truths, both God um, uh, hearing and then strengthening your heart, um, you're satisfied at this point. You're satisfied because when you've come face to face with the God who loves your soul and meets you and wants to hear um, your pain and recounts and showcases his faithfulness to you, you're secure. And then out of that, you have the confidence to say like this psalmist, you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And you can rest in the hope that God, you'll make all things right. You'll make all things right. He will do justice for you. God will win over all injustice, church. Some of you need to hear that and that's all you're gonna be able to cling to as you leave today. God will win over all injustice. It is a promise, and the confidence that I have in the promise is based off of recounting his faithfulness. You really, really, really can entrust it to God. I promise you, God will do it. Real change comes through the work of the gospel and God's timing, and I don't know, and I can't explain, and I could give you a hundred situations within the past year in my life where I've been like, waiting, waiting, and I'm like, really? That's the way it's gonna come. And I'm shocked by how God works in that. But he always strengthens my heart. He's been perfect at every turn. That's what we see the testimony of Scripture. How often we just need to remember. I, I told you at the beginning, I've been thinking about this message for a while. And um, processing through the weight of this topic. And what does it really mean to rest in God's sufficient grace? Like, And so about a month ago, Pastor Jeremy, who's helped us out with a lot of just connecting with uh, some compassion ministries in our community, he set up a lunch, and these have been so great and encouraging for our staff, but he set up a lunch where our staff um, will, will host a lunch with um, a different ministries sort of staff team. And so about a month ago, we sat down to have lunch with the staff of Hope Project. Hope Project is one of these ministries that we support. And their vision is simply this, to end suffering from sex trafficking. Now, here's what I promise you. From talking to their staff and, and being so encouraged by them, they are doing ministry in the trenches of suffering. They're bringing gospel hope to, to victims who have had to endure suffering 
that is hard to imagine. As we left the lunch and hanging out with them and being so encouraged, like I said, we were getting a tour of their offices. And as we were getting a tour of their offices, there was something. And literally that day, I'm thinking about this message. And I'm just thinking, what, is it, what does it look like to, to speak something like this in regards to it being a stronghold into people's lives who have walked through this and and on the wall they had all these different paintings that that different women that had walked through their ministry had had sort of had sort of painted as sort of a way of expressing their heart and the healing that the gospel was doing and I this caught my eye check this out it says you choose whether you are a victim or a survivor It was, it was kind of a step back moment. As sort of um, this woman, who I don't even know, her simple, beautiful, powerful testimony of someone who is showing the evidence that she is living from the perspective of what Christ has done, not what's been done to her. God is clearly, in a variety of ways, doing a gospel work in her heart, and she's expressed her pain to God, but, but now what she's declaring is, I'm not a passive victim. I'm a survivor. She's saying, a victim will not be my identity. And I just, I, I sense the, the gospel power from these words. Like, like come on, Lord, in my life, in so many people's lives, in our church who I love, This, this stirs up faith in my God because she's also declaring a warning to all victims. She's saying, do not rest in a victim mentality. So can we just step back for a second because I want to make sure we understand this because this is a big issue in our culture. Gospel Coalition article I read as I was prepping for this message had this definition that I loved about victim mentality. Look at, look at the quote on the screen. If you have a victim mentality... You will see your entire life through a perspective that things constantly happen to you. Victimization is thus a combination of seeing most things in life as negative, beyond your control, and as something you should be given sympathy for experiencing as you deserve better. At its heart, a victim mentality is actually a way to avoid taking any responsibility for yourself or your life. By believing you have no power, then you don't have to take action. Having a victim mentality is a dangerous fruit of allowing I am a victim to become the defining characteristic of your identity and the way you think. And right here is where the mind war is at. And be careful here. Because victim mentality put you in a passive position where you remain a victim and you begin to live out of your identity as a victim. And what it can do in so many ways is it can blind you to your own sin and responsibility. It uh, can begin to, to erode away your confidence in what Christ has accomplished over sin and death. It can keep you from accessing the, the spirit for, to give you power and victory. It can steal your joy and mess up your relationships. What it, what it does is, is it kind of, this victim mentality puts you in this sort of self-centered mentality and place. It, it becomes an orientation that's all about self. 
And sometimes, honestly, the church feeds this. And someone walks into a church and they just know that if, that if, I, if I front with my victim mentality, then I receive something from, but, but there needs to be both a validation of what someone's gone through as a victim, but also a move to say, there is victory in Christ. I won't let you stay under that identity because I love you too much to leave you there. And God loves you too much to leave you there. Being a victim is a reality discussed in the Bible, but it is not a biblical identity. I am a victim must come under I am in Christ. And church, listen, I'm I'm not trying in any way to devalidate the reality of someone who's been a victim. All I'm saying is, is that in your own mind, in the way you think and orient about and think about your life within Um, the world, I want you to think about I am in Christ over the top of I am a victim. Reject the victim mentality. Choose like this woman to live as a survivor through the victory found in Christ. And we've got to take every thought captive to get ourselves there. And we've got to think about the way this has played out in your life and in my life. Rest in God's sufficient grace where he doesn't want to speak over your life, you're a victim. He wants to speak over your life, you're a victor in me, in me. God transforms your identity from victim to victor as you rest in him. Let, as, we, as we sort of conclude, I, I, what I want you to do is I want you to see that God in Christ is welcoming you and inviting you to come so that he can bind up your wounds Psalm 147 verse 3 says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I don't know if you ever had a wound when you were a kid. I think this is kind of a boy thing, but I'm sure it could be extended beyond that. Um, When I would fall, I'd get like a scrape on my knee and it would start bleeding, right? And then it would heal and there would be that, it would start to heal and there'd be that scab, right? I was one of those kids who loved to pick the scab I don't know what it was, right? Like, anybody else with me up here? Like, like you just kind of, I, I don't know if I kind of like to watch it bleed again and be like, look how tough I am. It's pretty pathetic, I know. But, but here's, here's the thing I read this week. In this place where there's a wound, picking the scab uh, makes the wound fresh again. You know what happens if you keep picking a scab over and over and over? It leaves the wound, watch this, watch this, it leaves the wound vulnerable to infection It increases the amount of time it takes to heal. And it can result in long-term scarring. And immediately I was like, that is exactly what happens when we live as a victim mentality. We're so look at me over here. Look at me over here. As opposed to, look who's binding me up. Look who's going to heal my wounds. Look whose word speaks a better word over my life than I'm a victim. The, the God who uh, showcases his faithfulness to me in so many different ways and wants to speak over my life a better word that in me, in Christ, you're no longer identified as a victim. You're no longer identified by what's happened to you or what you've done in the past or what's played out in your life. And now you are identified in Christ. You're identified in the freedom and the joy and the victory that Christ gives over sin and death. Amen, church? And we need to to understand that faith is calling us to speak uh, to God honestly about our pain and then quiet, allow him to begin to speak a better word over our lives. 
And when this happens, God will bind up your wounds and he will heal the brokenhearted. The gospel speaks a better word. And so in these next moments as we close, I just want you to put your notes away and I, I want you to recognize that this message is, for many in this room, is not a message about some reality that's going to come in the future. It's a reality that you're living in right now. And so I want to give you space because I can bring you to the word, I can point you to God, but the Savior who loves you, the Lord who wants to have authority to speak a better word over your life stands in front of you right now. Both individually and collectively. And so in these next moments, what I want to do is something that I just think we have to do more in the church. It's just give you space. Because although this message can't fix everything, you can make some moves to begin to tear down the stronghold of I am a victim. Some of you have lived under the weight for too long. Some of you are just fed up and some of you are tired. And so in this space right now, I just, I want to give you freedom to move wherever you need to move. As we, this next song is sung over us, I, I maybe you want to come up front and kneel and just declare in that, God, I'm coming to you and, and I know you hear my pain and I'm going to recount your faithfulness and I'm going to rest in your sufficient grace or, Maybe you want to stand where you're at or kneel. Maybe you want to raise your hands as the song is sung. Maybe you want to participate and begin to sing. Or maybe you just want to sit quietly and let the truth of it just soak over your soul and your heart. The gospel speaks a better word. You don't have to remain where you're at. That's the beauty of God's grace is that it's extended to you despite despite your own fallenness, despite the fallenness that has played itself out on the shores of your life, this God invites you and welcomes you. And so I just want to encourage you in this moment with the truth of what this scripture has revealed, I just want you to come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Express your pain to him. Recount God's faithfulness. Rest in his grace. Move wherever you need to move as this song is sung. Let's respond and let's begin to take this stronghold down. Let's do it now.